We're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 16 again. Numbers chapter 4 and verse 16. <clears throat> in this wonderful passage of Scripture, we have been caused to see that uh, Eliezer, uh, the eldest son, uh, heir apparent or priest apparent of Aaron, has been given some responsibilities when it comes to moving the tabernacle or when it came to setting up the tabernacle. Now, in this responsibilities, we've noticed here in verse 16 that he is a outstanding declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ in his capacities as our Savior. Now, there are four things listed here that Eliezer, the priest, was to carry or to be at least uh, have the oversight of when they moved. And in each of these items that he had is a reflection of the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in himself as our high priest, our great high priest. It tells us here in the book of Numbers chapter 4, verse 16. Numbers chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, And to the office of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, pertaineth the oil for the light. Now we spent a little time on that uh, on one of our uh, uh, Sundays, and we saw how glorious it is that he is the light of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And he's the one that brings light to his people. He is a light to, uh, to lighten the Gentiles. We heard that read this morning. He is a light to his people. He is what makes them alive. And then it tells us, uh, and... Uh, a light of oil for the light, and the sweet incense. He, he carried the sweet incense that was used for the altar of incense. And we find over in the book of the Revelation that uh, that represents some of the prayers of the saints. But it also, it, we saw that it reflected in the glorious, sweet savor of the Lord Jesus Christ moving among people and saving whom he will. When he went to heal someone, it was a demonstration of his great work of salvation. If he uh, uh, corrected their hearing, they had no hearing. It's a, such a demonstration that he opens the ears so that we might hear. And the blind opens our eyes that we might see. And our heart that's dead gives us a new heart that we might understand the word of God. So what blessings there. And it just, uh, it just caught my attention as he was walking along, carrying this sweet incense, how that wafted across the people as they were marching. And we noticed there that the Lord Jesus, he had his feet anointed one time, and as he walked along, if you were in his presence, there was that sweet savor that he had. And as he walked up to people, uh, Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, how this might even have still been there, and how glorious it would have been. But the spiritual application is so much greater as we find that the Lord Jesus and his sweet smell of his grace and ministry was to his people and still is to his people as he quickens them and gives them the new birth and causes us to see him in his glory. How sweet that is, how, how we just relish and delight in it. Never get tired of it. And then it tells us here that uh, the daily meat offering which was the, the grain offering that was offered. And we looked at that and saw that the, the high priest 
tested that flower that was brought for that by running his hands through it. And if he found any grit or if he found any chaff, if he found anything in there that was impure, it would quickly be noticed. And so it is with the Lord Jesus. When people come before him with uh, their life or their worship and he reaches down with his heart, uh, with his hand and touches our heart and recognizes the chaff, uh, the, the impurities that are there, that people are trying to present their own righteousness, that is right out. He has nothing to do with that. That flower would be thrown out. We need the pure flower. We need the pure righteousness of Christ. And truly, he is the bread of life. He is the water of life. He's all of those things to his people. And then we notice the fourth thing here. And how exciting this is, as it says, and the anointing oil. He carried the anointing oil. Well, we're going to spend some time on that, but let me finish that verse. And the oversight of all the tabernacle. Now, there's a message there. Lord willing, we'll be looking at that next week. And of all that is therein, in the sanctuary and in the vessels thereof. So, Eliezer had a great responsibility placed upon him. But as a man, that responsibility was just these literal items. But as the man of God, the Lord Jesus, he had all these things from a spiritual standpoint. From a spiritual standpoint. Now, I'm going to be in a lot of verses. I'll try to take time for you to find them. But these verses of Scripture are so precious to the believer to find out what it was, what was intended by this passage of Scripture here when it says the anointing oil. Would you turn with me back to the book of Exodus for just a moment? There's a couple of passages in the book of Exodus that I'd like to read. And here in Exodus chapter 29, Exodus chapter 29, we have this holy anointing oil, this holy anointing oil being used. Now we're going to look in just a moment at the... uh, 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 of the composition of that oil. But well, let's look here in Exodus chapter 29 and start with verse 5, if you would. Exodus 29, verse 5, it says, And thou shalt take the garments and put upon Aaron the coat and the robe and the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the curious girdle of the ephod. Now, every one of those pieces of of uh, Uh, garment that was put on Aaron had a tremendous statement about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it tells us in verse 6, And thou shalt put the mitre upon his head, and put the holy crown upon the mitre. Now, there was a gold piece that came across that mitre that said, The righteousness of the Lord. And that speaks of our Savior. He is the righteousness of God. And then it tells us in verse 7, Then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. Pour this uh, anointing oil upon his head and anoint him. Now, this is brought out over in the book of Psalms. And we'll be there in just a moment, but drop down to chapter 30 for just a moment. Chapter 30 of the book of of Exodus, beginning with verse 22. Chapter 30, verse 22. We have this holy anointing oil that Eliezer is carrying around, and we want to see where it was used, how it was used, what is uh, the, the combination of it, but it speaks so highly 
of someone who truly has been anointed. Truly been anointed. That's our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So over here in the book of Exodus, chapter 30, verse 22, Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, five hundred shekels, and sweet cinnamon, half so much, even two hundred and fifty shekels, and of sweet calamus, calamus, two hundred and fifty shekels, and of cassia, five hundred shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and hen, a measure. This is the combination of what was to go into this holy anointing oil. And every bit of this is so um, uh, caught up by the, the scent of smell. This is a glorious holy anointing oil. It, it, if it was put on Aaron, you could smell it. And it was so uh, descriptive of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And it goes on to tell us here, verse 25, And thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. And it shall be a holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of congregation therein, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all the vessels, and the candlestick, his vessels and altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and all the vessels and the labor of uh, and its foot. So everything that was around the tabernacle and the tabernacle itself was to be sprinkled with this holy anointing oil. It was to be set apart for serious service. Speaking about, again, of our Savior, how he was set apart for the serious service of redeeming his people from their sins. And then it says, And thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever touches them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now here's the warning. Listen to this, please. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. Now, upon natural man, this has nothing to do with natural man. It, it will not do a thing for natural man. It will not make him different. It will not change his heart. It will not change his man mind. But getting religious will do nothing for natural man. Having holy anointing oil will do nothing for natural man. It's not for natural man. Here it goes on to say, that and uh, for the flesh shall not be poured, neither shall ye make any other like it. Don't try to add to or take from the compound that is here used in this holy anointing oil. This is serious. In fact, it goes on to tell us in that passage of scripture in, that uh, you, the people that do this, shall be cut off. How it speaks about natural man's religion and how it is such a sham. How it is so uh, to take uh, and and physically try to trump up what God alone can do is serious. And those people shall be cut off. They shall not stand before God. They have no righteousness except their own. And the Lord says, this shall not be accepted by me. There is holy anointing oil. It is made for a serious picture of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go no further. This is it. 
Don't try to, to uh, mock it or make it uh, for your own use. It will not do. Only the blood of Christ, only the righteousness of Christ, only the peace of Christ, only the sanctification of Christ, only the redemption of Christ, the rest will not do. So as we look at this, we find that it was a holy anointing oil. Eliezer is carrying some of it with him as they travel to set up the tabernacle in the next place. He is a representative of the priesthood. He is a representative of the priest, the great high priest, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us over there in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 133. Would you turn there? It's three verses long. I'd like to read the entire uh, three verses as it shares with us that this oil that was poured upon Aaron, it represents so much. Here in the Psalm, Psalm 133, it's a song of, song of degrees of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now it goes on and gives us two examples of this, or two comparisons of this. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Now what is there about this that would be like brethren dwelling together in unity? Well, we just read the compound. We read the ingredients. You know, the mixture of these ingredients was such a pleasant smell. The mixture of these ingredients. They were God's called on ingredients. He gave them exactly how much to, to put together to make this holy anointing oil. And that holy anointing oil represents, in one way, the fellowship that the church has with one another. Because it is a sweet savor. This is God has given a sweet savor uh, uh, to his people with regard to his redemptive work on the cross. We unite in that. We unite in the sweetness of the redemptive work of Christ. We, we bow before that. We, we're reunited in that. Brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, relishing in the very person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, how pleasant that is to dwell together in unity. We are in unity about the blood of Christ. We're in unity about the redemptive work of Christ. We are in unity about his uh, pre-earth creation work. We are in unity about this. It's a sweet savor. Oh, how sweet it is to the spiritual nostrils of the church to think about, hear about, and smell of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is like these this compound put together. And then it goes on to tell us that it went down to the skirts of his garments. And then in verse 3, we have another. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. This is a comparison of how sweet it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Uh, I was reading about that, that uh, on this place, on this mount, that the, the dew was so uh, heavy that it just brought moisture to all the things on that mountain that it needed. And so it is with, with uh, the, the blessings of dwelling together in unity, how sweet it is, how, how it covers. Uh, and that dew was not irrigation. That came from God. God blessed that. And so it is with the church. God brings the blessings. God bring, brings the dew of heaven. God brings that sweet odor of that holy anointing oil. Well, Let's go on for just a moment here, uh, for a few more moments at least, and look at this, 
this anointing oil. And it was used, this anointing oil was used to anoint, to anoint his anointed. Now it's interesting that that word that we found over there for anointed is used many times in the Old Testament and twice it is used for the very word itself and that is the word Messiah. Holy anointing oil. Messiah. Now turn with me. There's two times it's used in the book of Daniel. That's just transliterated. It is the close as we can say it, the Hebrew word in the English language. So it is transliterated, a Hebrew word, brought it into the English language, and here in the book of Daniel, it's brought out. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. It's used twice in the book of Daniel. <coughs> I want to read this one passage. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. For in this verse of Scripture, we have that word anointed in its Hebrew transliteration. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince. That is anointed. That is the same word we found over there in the book of Numbers chapter 4 and verse 16. Anointed Messiah. This is speaking of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, the Prince. And threescore and two weeks and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now those scholars that lived in the days of the Lord Jesus knew this passage of scripture. They didn't have to wonder if when the Messiah was coming, they had been given a direct timeline of when the Messiah would come after the starting of the building of the walls of Jerusalem after they'd spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Now, I don't have the understanding of how to figure that, and I'm not given the responsibility. I'm given the great pleasure of preaching Christ and Him crucified. That is the glorious thing. Now, here, this word Messiah is used. This word is found many times in the Old Testament, and most of the time, it is translated anointed. Now, I would like to go to a passage of Scripture that we've looked at in the past a number of times, and that's in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. It gives us an understanding here about uh, uh, this word Messiah or anointing. That oil that Eliezer carried around is a type, a shadow, and a picture of the true anointed one. That word is Messiah. He is our Messiah. He is the one that will put away sin. Now here in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have a passage of scripture here that shares with us that the Lord told Samuel to go anoint someone besides Saul. Now notice here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Now, we find a lot of scripture in the Bible about respecting those who reign over us. And we find that no doubt that is exactly what Samuel was doing. But drop down with me, if you would, in this passage of scripture to verse 6. He, is, he goes to a house where the head of the household is Jesse. 
And Jesse has some sons. Now notice here in verse 6. Came to pass when they were come that he looked at Eliab and said. Now notice these words. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now that word anointed is the same word that Daniel used over there in the book of Daniel chapter 9. The same word that we find that Eliezer is spoken of in carrying the holy anointing oil. This Samuel looked at this man and said, because of the height of his stature, because of the strength that he demonstrated, truly this is the Lord's anointed. Now, we find out that the Lord says in the next verse, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not at his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I've refused him. Now, how often, I wonder, did people in the days up around the birth of the Lord Jesus were looking for someone like this to be the Messiah? What was it that the, the Jews were looking for? Someone to throw off the Roman yoke. And here we have in this picture that uh, uh, Samuel is informed by the Lord, this is not what you look for. You don't look for this. The Messiah is going to come in a fashion that no man could identify. In, in fact, I heard someone say the other day, most people didn't see Jesus in Jesus when he walked among them. That's the truth of the matter. And it goes on to say here, the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh in the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ was here among men, there were some people that knew him, that saw him, that recognized him. But the majority of people never saw him as the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah, even though they said they were looking forward to him. In the book of the Psalms again, Psalm 2, we have this word brought out again. Psalm 2 and verse 2. Now this verse of scripture is quoted over in the book of Acts. And it is so important as we look at this subject of the Lord as the anointed, the Messiah. In the, uh, Psalm 2 verse 2 it says, The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Now notice the last part. And against his anointed, his Messiah. They took counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Natural man will always find fault with the Lord's anointed. The natural man will always find fault with the way of the Lord's anointed. The Messiah will always find fault. There's going to be a constant conflict until the Lord gives us the peace of Jerusalem. And I mean that spiritually speaking. When he settles us and allows us to see the Savior that is the Savior. The Savior that saves us from our sins. Now, Keep this in mind as we travel over to the book of Acts and see that it was brought out in the book of Acts chapter 4. This verse of scripture is brought out in Acts chapter 4 as the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. Acts chapter 4 verse 25. One more time, we have a passage in the New Testament 
that is speaking of an Old Testament passage and the fulfillment of it. Here in Acts chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his, notice this word, against his Christ. Now that's what we find in the New Testament. In the Old Testament's Messiah. In the New Testament it is Christ. And this passage of scripture brings us from the Old Testament, the Lord's anointed, to the Lord's Christ. We see here the wonderful position that Jesus of Nazareth had as the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah. As Eliezer carried that holy anointing oil around, he was a picture and a type and a shadow of this very person that we attach ourselves to because he quickens us and raises us from the dead and causes us to see that he is the Messiah, that he is the Lord's Christ, that before the foundation of the world, he was set aside in the covenant of grace and he had a people before the foundation of the world and he had a promise to them that he would lay down his life a ransom for many and that he would be their savior. Now, look in the book of Luke chapter 4. We've been here several times just recently. Luke chapter 4. I, I think I mentioned that I was... I was in a need of a passage of scripture the last time I spoke to that young preacher. It was Tuesday night, and I'm sitting here at the table, and I turned on my computer, and I picked up a, a, a sermon audio, and I went to a message by Pastor Rupert Rivenbark. And he brought this verse of scripture up and says, Aha, this is the one that I need to present to this young preacher. It tells us here in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He is in his hometown. He is in Nazareth. He's in the synagogue in Nazareth. He is, he is, uh, uh, verse 18, it says, He is given a, a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place and read it. Now notice this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath, what? He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, every one of these people that the Lord Jesus Christ reads about from the book of Isaiah, that the anointed one, the Messiah, is going to deal with, they are incapable of helping themselves. The poor. Now, if they had the ability of becoming rich, they would have done that. But they are the poor. And he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. My goodness, how difficult that is. We can't console someone that has a broken heart. And when it comes to a spiritual position, there is no way in this world. We have only the privilege of preaching the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that can deal with this. And, he, and to preach the deliverance to captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Every one of these that he is speaking of here, found in the book of Isaiah, uh, uh, reading there from the book of Isaiah, we find nobody could help them. They are incapable of helping themselves. But the Messiah, the anointed one, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to do this, 
to and set at liberty them that are bruised. That's the ministry of our Savior, the Messiah, and he has been anointed with holy anointing oil to do this very thing. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. He hath anointed me. And then he goes on to say, these, this day are these words fulfilled in your hearing. And then he goes on and brings up two subjects, both of them Gentile, a leper and a widow woman. And before it's over with, his friends, his family, and all of those religious people in that synagogue. Can you imagine, just for a moment, that all the people that are in church grab the preacher and throw him outside with the intent of throwing him over the brow of a hill and killing him. Well, that's what happened to the Lord Jesus when he preached that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the only Savior. Now, turn with me to the book of Matthew, if you would, chapter 1, verse 16. As we think about this holy anointing oil, the Messiah, we have our Messiah. He's been identified. And the scriptures, we're going to read several verses of scripture here uh, from the New Testament that share with us this grand scheme of God with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I use that word Christ as we find so often in the scripture, but that means anointed one, the Messiah. That's what it means. That's the, 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 that's the definition of the word Christ. And he is. Well, here in the book of Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, he says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called, not the Christ, but called Christ, Messiah, anointed one. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. He is anointed. He is the Messiah. He is the only one that can deal with the problems that we face. He is the only one that has been given the privilege and the right to take care of all that the Father had given to him in the covenant of grace. People find fault with him being the Messiah because if you admit that he's the Messiah, he's been involved in the salvation of his people a whole lot longer than we've been alive. And when people can't admit that he's the Messiah, they have to admit that they are their Messiah. They're the ones that have the interest in themselves. They're the ones that raised their hand and made God acknowledge them. So this Messiah. Well, let's look here in the book of Mark. Just the next book. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Again, we have this glorious statement made. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the anointed one. This is the beginning of the gospel. It is good news to have this Christ. It is good news. He is the one that can do something about the problem we have. Why? Because he has been forever. He has had an eternal interest. He isn't just an upstart. He isn't just born in Bethlehem and became a savior. He's been the savior of his people from eternity. He has been anointed, set aside by Almighty God, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit to be the savior of his people. Follow this through just a little further. In the book of John, chapter 1, John chapter 1, we have this wonderful passage of scripture here with regard to Peter. And in John chapter 1, there in verse 
uh, 40. John chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak. Now, I've been listening to John the Baptist. Who did John the Baptist preach? The anointed one, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God. That's who he preached, and that's what they heard. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, now here again we have this word transliterated, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. We have found him. The, all the Old Testament prophets spoke of this anointed one. All of the Old Testament prophets preached of Christ, preached of Christ and him crucified, type, shadow, and picture. And now, just as Abel could say in his day, whether he said this to his brother or not, I have found the Messiah. I have found the anointed one. He it's not found in fruits and vegetables, and it's not he's not found in a lamb slain, but he is a person that saves his people from their sins. He is the anointed one of the Father, and all generations down through time, as the gospel is preached and it is brought in contact with all those that the Father had given the Son, those two will say, we have found, I have found. He has revealed himself as my Messiah, as the anointed one of God, being interpreted, which is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, verse 42, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is being interpreted a stone. And we follow Peter's life, rest of the way through the scriptures. He is going to tell us something else about this Messiah. Would you turn with me over to the book of, uh, of uh, 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 Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. We have Peter speaking here in the book of Matthew, chapter 16. A great confession of faith. Oh, to be given this confession of faith that was given to Peter over here. And the Lord instantly says, shares with him, you didn't get this on your own. You didn't get this from study. You didn't get this from uh, anything else. But it says here, when Jesus asked there in verse 15, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the one that Eliezer spoke of as he carried the holy anointing oil. You're the one that Samuel was spoken of as he said, don't pick this man out by his height, by his stature, by his strength. They went out into the field and found the keeper of the sheep, David, and he was called on to anoint David. Well, this is David's son. This is David's Lord. This is, the, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter was given more than uncircumcised ears. He was given ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to recognize this thing. Now, People say, well, how can he go on and do what he did? How do we go on and do what we do? But this anchor was his. 
that he was the Lord's. That was so important. Well, turn with me to John chapter 4, if you would. In John chapter 4, we have the Lord must needs go through Samaria. You remember what that woman said when he was speaking to her? John chapter 4, verse 25 and verse 26. John chapter 4, verse 20. Excuse me, I'm in Matthew. John chapter 4, verse 25. This woman had heard something from somebody. Because she said, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. I know the anointed one cometh, which is called Christ. You know, I've read that many times and I've just never looked at it in this light. As I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Now look at the next verse. Verse 26. Jesus said to her, I that speak unto thee am he. The revelation of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the one chosen in the covenant of grace to ransom his people from the great despair that they're in. The one that speaketh unto thee am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. What language was given unto him? Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. At the Lord's trial, Mark chapter 14, at the Lord's trial, this subject comes up as the high priest investigates. Now, there's a lot of contrast between Eliezer being a type, shadow, and picture of the Lord Jesus in those things that he carried between setup and setup. Over here in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 14, we have a high priest asking this question. Mark chapter 14, verse 61. Very pointed question. But the, he held his peace. The Lord held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him. Now this is a very pointed question. Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now notice the next verse. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Oh my. You know, in my flesh, in my religion, I cannot tell you how many times I rent my clothes when I heard, when Brother Henry preached Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, Jesus Christ, the Savior, and only Savior, that He alone can do the work of redemption, and He will not take anybody's help. I rent my clothes and said, I hate that man. This man is displaying natural man's reaction to the Christ of God. The very word of God when He said, I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. 
And that was all it took. Throw this man out. Get rid of him. We don't need him around. And that's what religion will do with the Christ of God, the Messiah of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. As John closes the book, John chapter 20, here in verse 30, John chapter 20 and verse 30, as he closes out this great and glorious book about the sonship of Christ, the sonship of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God, as Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the only one that can save his people from their sins. Without any assistance, without any help, without anything, he will save his people from their sins. And he has promised that he will acquaint them with the gospel and that the Holy Spirit will convert them, will give them the new birth, and bring them at peace with God. Notice here in the book of John chapter 20. John chapter 20 verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. Which are not written in this book. But these are written. That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the anointed one, the appointed one, the one set aside by the covenant of grace, that you might believe the Savior, God's Savior. You might believe him. And this only comes by revelation. And once it's revealed to you, we'll say, oh my goodness, as Peter did, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. What a statement is mentioned there with regard to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might believe. Now, this only happens just as, it, as Peter was told, flesh and blood does not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Over in the book of Acts, the subject is brought up again. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us when he was anointed. He wasn't anointed in time. He was anointed in eternity. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. The scriptures say, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now, the Lord said, For what work do you condemn me? And I said, Not for your work, but for what you say. For your words. That's what that high priest said. Enough. He's already condemned himself. He's already said he's God. That's enough. Well, Jesus said, I am. You ask the question, are thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Yes, I am. Well, here it says, verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, that's when he was anointed. In the covenant of grace, he was anointed, set aside. Oh, what contemplations we could have in just thinking about this. That he was set aside in the covenant of grace, anointed, called the Messiah, 
before the world began, in the determinate counsel of God, he was determined to be the Messiah. And that work of the Messiah was culminated, finished on the cross, when he said, it is finished. The work is finished. It's done. The work of the Messiah has been concluded. All through the Old Testament, the prophet said he's coming to take care of this work. The Gospels, he's here and will take care of this work. And the, the, new, the uh, Acts to Revelation, the one that finished the work is coming back. Well, turn with me, if, if you would, again, over in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1. That Apostle Peter brings the subject up one more time. Here in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers. Now notice verse 19. But with the precious blood of who? Of Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, without blemish and without spot. There was no spot or blemish in this one. He was imputed our sins. He imputes his righteousness. This we are redeemed with the precious blood of the Messiah, of the anointed one, of Christ. And Eliezer the priest, as he walked from one place the tabernacle is set up to the next place the tabernacle is set up, he is carrying this holy anointing oil a symbol, a Messiah is coming. A Messiah is coming. Now in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was only physical oil. Only physical oil. One more passage over here in the book of Acts again. If you turn back with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews, and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Now, another verse I'd like to look at is found over in the book of Hebrews, along with this anointing. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. And thus, he was from eternity. He's not just a, a, a religious guy. He's just not uh, a co-pilot. He's not just someone's trying to do something. That Once you find that he's doing more than that, religion just has a real fit about it. But he's the one that does all. He is the one that does everything. Now notice here in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. 
Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The oil of gladness. This spiritual oil that God put upon his Son. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit anointed him with the oil of gladness. What is that oil of gladness? Redemption will be successful. All that were given to me by the Father in the covenant of grace, I shall redeem. I will bring everyone in, and none shall be lost. So we ask the question, when was Jesus of Nazareth anointed at the cross? Oh, that's way too late, way too late. We can just go back through and look at the various times in the ministry of the Lord or in the prophets and say, where was he? Was it here? Was it here? Was it at the flood? Was it at creation? Was it at the fall? Oh my no. He was anointed in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. The eternal son was anointed, set aside by the great work of redemption in eternity. Aaron was anointed with holy anointing oil. Eliezer carried some of that compound around with him, but it was a physical anointing. It dripped down his beard. It dripped down onto his clothes. It went from his, all over him. And a sweet smell, a sweet odor. But the Savior, the true Messiah, the true anointed one, wherever he goes, bringing life, raising people from the dead, oh, what a sweet odor, the oil of gladness that he has on himself and he transfers to his people to bring them gladness to reverence the god of heaven in gladness the blessings of the covenant of grace were put into the hands of christ so early and that's not even a word that appropriately describes it so early but it was before the foundation of the world and the elect were blessed with them in him he is the true anointed one he is the only anointed one and he's recognized as the anointed one by the Godhead. Now, it doesn't matter whether we anoint it or recognize it or not. He is anointed by God and recognized as the only anointed one. And thanks be unto him that as Peter, Peter called him, his brother came, we found him, Messiah, who is the Christ. And then, in chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh, as Peter shares with us what was of value and importance to him, I pray that this same glorious anointed one will be of precious value to you that he is the anointed one of God, recognized from eternity, that he will redeem his people from their sins. And he's in the actual business of doing so. Well, until next time, when we go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 4, verse 16, and see that next part where he has, he has the oversight of the tabernacle. The oversight. Until then, may God bless you. And uh, may uh, our health improve and may we be able to uh, 
soon meet together in fellowship as the Lord's church. Is there a word from anyone before we are dismissed? Amen and amen.